Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing strategies to deal with tragedy. One of the biggest complaints that I've heard from clients over the years is simply getting to adulthood and realizing that they haven't been prepared to be an adult in any real way. I certainly felt like this. Many people seem to hit adulthood as if ejected from a -a tilt-a-whirl, dizzy, discombobulated, confused, directionless, and lacking of life skills. And many believe something is wrong with them that they should just know how to adult, that the information, the knowledge, the wisdom should just fall out of the sky or it just doesn't fall out of the sky and you're screwed. I don't want anyone believing that they're just supposed to be born knowing how to manage this wild modern life we're living through. And when you don't know how to adult, you aren't wrong or bad, so don't allow shame to come in right here. This awareness is an indicator to approach and engage new skills. That's its own adulting skill. To take your life by the reins. This is an indicator that new learning is available to you so that you can be better equipped for life and its adult responsibilities and requirements. I'm working on an exclusive Patreon episode this month to list out some of those adult responsibilities and requirements that no one ever really tells us directly about. From how to date and pick a partner, to how taxes or retirement savings accounts work, how to budget, how to buy a home, how to interview for a job, how to fight fair, how to lose with grace, how to negotiate in life and for financial raises at work, how to process feelings, how to move through grief, even things like how to dress to impress, how and when to take a healthy risk, how to think positively towards solution, and how and where to accrue skills to live a good life. This is what we want as seekers. We seem to be sending people into adulthood unprepared for the real-life basics just as much as for the real-life horrors. Today's episode isn't about those simple basics. It's about how to deal with hard things, 
the hardest of things, the things that are shocking, overwhelming, devastating, heartbreaking, and even horrific or evil. Because there isn't a one of us getting to the end of a long life without enduring or observing natural or man-made disasters. Use this episode as you need, taking what works for you, and as always, leaving the rest. I am now and consistently on the side of grounded health and wholeness, of the real shit that will bring us to as much peace as we can have. And maybe you've come to learn that life, at least part of life, will be anything but peaceful at times. Which is why I want you, me, all of us, to learn as much peace as we can, to bring as much peace as is humanly possible into our own lives and each other's lives. I am here today in my life because I've done the work to juggle when to direct myself to calm and peace and when to allow my fighter spirit to fight for me and fight for my life, fight to be here all the way to today. Please don't make assumptions as I speak today. And when I say that, know that I'm coming from a belief that politics in our American culture, media, social media, everything that that encompasses, is teaching people, is banking on people to make surface level, emotionally driven, uninformed, impulsive, divisive reactions and assumptions that get us all lost and mired down in defensiveness and judgment, which closes our minds and closes our hearts. We are living through a time where we are not getting encouraged for us to come together despite our differences. We're not getting encouraged or taught to at least honestly hear each other and listen. I don't think we're doing a great job teaching people, being people who know how to allow the release of pain without reacting to that pain from a personally defensive place. A basic example is someone coming to me after terrible counseling with a narcissistic mental health provider. And yeah, that happens. How would I help them if I defended the profession of mental health because I'm attached to it? If I did that in the moment of their pain release because I let my personal stuff get in the way and not be able to tolerate this person's pain release as they say, I hate therapy, I hate therapists. There's a time and a place to be with that anger, to process and release it. There's also a time and a place to shift, to let it go. At times in my work, I've chosen to say, have you gone from releasing your anger pointing to me, to transferring your anger to me? Is that intentional? And what do you want to do about that? Holding space is not to be confused with being a doormat ever. To be there for others in their pain, we can learn to notice our defensive tendencies, our attachments 
and work to understand that we don't want these attachments we've consciously and subconsciously come to out of our experience and out of our exposure to varied cultures to become more important than the humanity that lays between us or sometimes the humanity that lays at our feet. Sometimes what lays at our feet are the bloodied, the raped, the hundred yard stairs, or the already dead. These are very hard truths of our human experience and it has always been true of our human experience. We like to play as humans, like our consciousness makes us better than the animals. And then some of us like to play with joking that our dogs and our cats are better than us because they can do unconditional love in ways that humans struggle to. Animals in the wild kill to eat or kill to defend. They do not kill to torture. Now I have the ability and I'll call it a cultivated skill. I have been intentionally working on this for decades to separate feelings, ideas, reactions so that I can be in that therapist's seat and hold space for other people as well as for myself. It's not an or, it's an and. When we are seeing horrible things out there in the world, there is a skill in learning how to separate people from their governments. And let's call this my first tip. As we are watching violence, or as we are watching the potential for war, which we have been doing for years, multiple times in our lifetimes, if you struggle to separate people from their government, I encourage you to just work on it. Simply, you can accept that you can't really control anything your own country does. Come on. Other than voting, before our politicians do anything, what the hell do we have the power to do once they're in office and they're doing things or not doing things? So if you can sit with the reality that you yourself do not have such control, then you can sit with the reality that other people in other countries also do not have that control. I can be of my country and in disagreement of any of its policies at any time, and so can others from other countries. I want to talk about how witnessing these things impacts us and what we can actually do about it, how we can think about these things so that we are energetically more part of the solution at a minimum than adding energetically to any kind of human problem or struggle while we make our own lives harder. Who does that help? Maturity can have empathy for all suffering, for all all innocence hurt, all innocence caught up in governmental and terroristic decision-making, all of those webs, and for the messy, complicated darkness of it all. I am addressing what affects our mental health out of what we see and experience. That comes out of not just politics, but the righteousness that hurts and divides us that is encouraged politically under the entire spectrum of political option. Righteousness is seductive, y'all. Because as people, 
We hit so many moments in this life where we truly see our powerlessness and we feel it and we don't like it. Righteous anger shows up with tough, hardline talk to mask the truth of our vulnerability, the scope of our powerlessness. And vulnerability shows up in small scale and large. Our vulnerability shows up in a conversation that's getting a little bit challenging or asking us things we maybe have never thought of, a different perspective that makes our ego bring some defensiveness. And it shows up all along the way for bigger order issues, ideals, for much that is very seriously outside of our control. It's not some dirty secret. I don't mind sharing with you that my truth today is that I'm not connected to any political party and I do not see me affiliating with any political party in the near future either because I'm so turned off by just the whole shebang. I don't see leadership in our politics in the way that I know human beings are yearning for leadership right now. I mostly see reactive inner children who have come to use emotional blackmail techniques that confuse fear with wisdom, righteousness with maturity. And each politician to me reduces themselves at some point to agreed upon talking points, which honestly lowers any respect, authentic connection or trust I may have wanted to give them or may have felt. And this brings me to what is my second concrete tip in dealing with very hard, difficult things as an adult who is tasked with taking care of our own inner child. Dealing with life positively. Now that's typically a self-development, easy throwaway type tip. Yeah, we want to be more positive, right? We all know that. But dealing with life positively, it's a bit deceptive of a message. I want to reframe that. Dealing with life honestly might be better language for this sentiment than dealing with life positively. Dealing with life honestly, knowing that sometimes the glass is half empty and sometimes it is half full is smart. Knowing you have the power to choose your half empty or half full lens is wisdom. It's not all sunshine and bunnies and rainbows. To try to convince yourself positivity and law of attraction will make everything bunnies and rainbows is not positivity. It's not healthiness. It's an attempt to create a delusion from the perfectionistic part of us, from our idealized inner child who doesn't very much like dealing with these real-world realities. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you, and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. 
Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Now, I wouldn't talk about anything in this realm on this show because, let's face it, it would be much easier for me not to. I have quite a lot of material to pull from. I am not out of ideas, y'all. I wouldn't talk about this stuff if I didn't think politics was encouraging poor mindsets, even weaker coping skills that damage our abilities to relate to each other with respect and through difference. There are forces out there stoking the flames of divisiveness that is bringing so much loneliness, dissatisfaction, fear, anger, and depression, and all of its consequences, addiction, suicide, disengaged parents, all of it. This week has been a rough week for many. I had hard dreams last night, wondering powerlessly how to help from across the world. Because other than prayer and sending love, I can't. Don't let terrorist groups push buttons and pull strings to bring more pain into the world than is already happening. One of the hardest parts for me in producing this show every week is in choosing what to speak about and when. It's not just me with this show. I know you're out there feeling it too. So much happens. We are aware of so much all over the world all the time. It's too much to take in. It's too much to fully learn about in a way that respects the fullness of these issues because we're living lives. I've wanted to touch on so much over the years. And it's a reality I work to accept constantly that I just cannot get to all of it. It passes me by. I'm not just thinking about war, violence, its atrocities, the man-made disasters. I'm thinking of the partially man-made natural disasters. Though all humans since the beginning of time have had to live through the experience of what is absurdly horrible, difficult, confusing, overwhelming, atrocious, you'd think we'd stop avoiding the need to pass down these coping strategies. This is from my experience living through Hurricane Katrina as a New Orleans native and the laws of the land being dismissed for dangerous chaos. And this is my lens for relating to some of these issues across the world. When I see the insanity of violence, disorder, chaos infiltrating any area in mass, whenever I've spoken about my upbringing with my grandparents, you can bet that what I'm envisioning has been the one to two, even 300-year-old oak-lined streets of my childhood, lined with beautiful and interestingly different historic homes, demolished by Katrina. If I go back today, my mind's eye searches for these familiar landscapes and homes desperately. It unsettles my subconscious to be in those areas, because this scene, this landscape, it held me in my childhood. Maybe as a person who has no contact with my family, 
who had a lot of struggle growing up, that vision as a connection to home is a priceless thing to me. And it's beyond an affinity for a memory. What I'm talking about is more my attachment to my true parents and their true love for me, my grandparents. And it is gone forever. My childhood street, my childhood home. It looks like a wasteland to me. Every single old tree died in the standing water. Most homes knocked down to rebuild Homes that I frankly find bland, bleak, and dull. A devastation to my idea of that time and that space. As humans, we don't necessarily carry the brick and mortar of what a home means inside of us. Home means more of the emotions, the comfort, the security. That's what home means and feels, especially to feelers and seekers. Katrina took that from me. I went back to New Orleans to visit one month after that storm. And I experienced, though historical accounts today dispute this, I experienced being under martial law with tanks and military vehicles running through the streets, with rifled militia in SWAT regalia by the pair standing in military vehicles and trucks ready to shoot if and when, if we were out past the mandatory curfews, I moved back to New Orleans before the end of the year that year. And for months, I did not go anywhere alone. Not even from a dining room in a restaurant to the other room to go to the bathroom without a male escort. And I was armed with a weapon at all times because there were almost no women. And even the men who I felt safe with, who we all know, Men and women know this. Typically, men are not the ones in our society paying so much attention to what I'm going to call uh, the rape potential in any room or situation. Women pay attention to this. Those moments when we're walking to our car alone at night. In this scenario, even the men insisted. They sensed it. I was very independent at the time. I did not buck their insistence. I felt it too. The amount of male tension, the numbers of male laborers who hadn't seen women in months and months because there were virtually no women returning to the city, only laborers that are primarily typically men. All law and order pushed to the side, gunshots raining out at night, sometimes during broad daylight constantly on guard for looting and getting jumped, there was a primitive, unbridled kind of energy. My only parallel in my mind to it is a woman walking straight into a male high-security prison. This is my only frame of reference for how to relate to the experience of a terrorist attack targeting women and children, and it doesn't even scratch the surface of comparison. It is dangerous and terrifying when social norms and boundaries go out the window for any reason. It can be a weather-induced disaster, like a big bad hurricane breaking levees, or a calculated, organized, intentional assault on civilians, or whatever else may present itself that can blast past all natural and reasonable physical and human boundaries to bring chaos and destruction and devastation.
We need a sense of structure, safety, normalcy, security to feel right as humans. When that goes out the window, who do you want to be in the world when you observe that? I don't want to use my energy for anger or confusion. I want to send light and love. I want to keep my feet on the ground. Let's talk about what we can actually do when life shocks, breaks our hearts, terrifies us, brings on a sense of cruel powerlessness. And I understand that our human egos don't want to hear that. But the truth is, what we can do is up our emotional intelligence. We can add to our coping strategies and we can use them fiercely. Understand that some of these take a lifetime to work on and not a moment. And now is a great time to start if these are brand new ideas to you. The first tip I've already shared with you. Really, what I'm talking about is boundaries. I just haven't used that word. Tomorrow, the boundaries course starts right after we release this episode. We don't just work on physical boundaries, boundaries we think other people aren't going to cross. We work on our own emotional boundaries, our own containers. Notice how messy it gets when we smush people and government together without that separation. Notice how that may work for governments to pull our strings, our own and other governments. Separate people from their government in your mind and heart. Let people be people. If you need to be mad, be mad at a government, not at its people. For their sake and your own. Try it. See how it feels. See if it shifts something for you or not. Everything in this life, in this way, gets to be your experiment. If it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, awesome. Toss it out the window. Remember that anger is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. My challenge to you is that I know you can be smarter than that. Hold yourself to that standard. You want to guide your feelings. And as sensitive people, this is an imperative learning. We have to not let our own feelings guide so much of our decision-making, our choices, our energetic levels, especially when we are upset or activated, especially when the ego has the very best reasons to justify its angry self. The ego likes anger, y'all. It's its favorite drug. This is something that if we are to be a grounded human being, despite whatever happens in our lives or in the world, we very much need to understand. Second tip in dealing with very, very hard things as an adult. Already named this one too, so this is a review. Dealing with life positively is a bit deceptive. We can deal with life honestly, knowing that sometimes the glass is half empty and sometimes it is half full. And this is smart. Knowing that you have the power to choose your lens, this is your wisdom. Here's another tip. Know when to move towards peace or letting go and know when to fight like your life depends on it. It is spiritual diversion. It is idealism. And it is the sneaky bastard of righteous perfectionism to believe you or anyone will get through this life with no fight. 
I am not a pacifist, though I am all about peace. No animal on earth gets the luxury of a fight-free life if they are to survive it. And to have moments of thriving, we must survive. I know from my life, from the fight to get out of my house as an adolescent, the fight to remain in high school while homeless almost my entire senior year, the fight to escape an abusive relationship, the fight to not die from the grief of losing my stepdaughter, the fight to put and then keep my dad in prison, who, little side note here, now is getting out of prison this February 2024 and not February of 2030, like I had hoped and talked about in a Patreon episode this summer when he violated parole. When you fight, not because your ego wants to obliterate, but because your peaceful warrior says the only right next move is this fight. People who are frightened of their own fighter and everyone else's will not support your decision, your intuition, your fighter spirit, or the actual fight. I felt at times so alone in these fights, only to learn years later that I am of a long line of peaceful warriors, not a line of people I'm blood-related to necessarily, but a long line of humanity, of peaceful warriors, of seekers who are the ones born willing to fight. In many cultures, monks and spiritualists are also fighters. Knowing when to move towards peace is just as important as knowing when to fight. I ask you to trust, despite how you might feel in your fights, that you are unalone, especially in the moments of feeling the most lonely. Next tip. Believe you can handle it and get through, no matter how you feel. What's typical when a human witnesses atrocity that somebody else is experiencing? It's very, very common to say some form of, I couldn't handle that, I would die. No matter the horrible thing. And what we mean is, it's unspeakable, it is unfathomable, and I cannot wrap my mind or my heart around a human surviving that. When we say to ourselves or another, I just couldn't handle that, it is a lie. And it puts that lie out into the world that humans are fragile and they cannot handle what happens in this life. I've been a trauma therapist for almost two decades. I guarantee you human beings can handle so much more than they may believe before they're in the moment of having to handle it. Sometimes what we can do for others is believe in their ability to make it, despite all odds to the contrary. What a powerful gift to give yourself in these moments and to hold for people that we know and love intimately and dearly and to hold for people that we may never know in their human form in this one life. Next tip. For very hard things in this life that we are going to face, embrace and accept the ping-ponging quality of the grief cycle and commit to emoting your way through. There are times to be tough and there are times to be tender as we process and grieve. Shock and denial 
They happen by design. They're the first part of the grief process. But the grief process, it's just a guide. We have a little bit of shock. And then we make meaning. We move into other stages and then we ping pong back into shock. Shock and denial do not happen for you to not deal. They happen so that you can deal. We cannot take in the entire meaning of a giant life moment or loss in one moment. The shock lets us engage the grief one little bite at a time instead of choking on shoving it in our mouth all at once. Anger and depression are other stages of grief. And the dance between the two can feel like a ride. Anger and almost high to the low of depression. And you may swing wildly between that anger and that depression. Continue to do the next right thing as you swing through these emotions. Focus on the basics if this is where you are. And if depression grabs you, especially so. Lean into the basics. Drink a glass of water. Take a shower. Wash some clothes. Eat some food. Do the bare minimum and be proud of doing the bare minimum. The bargaining stage is the stage probably least spoken of, and it's an inevitable one, and move through it as you can. This is where we beg to the universe or to God to take our pain away or to bring us back to the before. Bargaining says, why them and not me? Why now? Bargaining cries, just give me one more moment. We bargain as if to realize that we have no bargaining power. We have no control other than to let go of the pain. In these ways, acceptance, what we think of as the final stage of grief, though you may ping pong through them all always, it comes in layers. And eventually it really does bring more peace than we could have ever imagined at the height of our pain. Next tip. Allow your spirituality to hold you, whatever that means. Your connections, your way of prayer. For some, it's being out in a fishing boat all alone to be with their version of God. For others, it's the calming ritual and tradition of song, togetherness, the ceremony of words or lighted candle that church or mass provides. Anyone who has lost a loved one naturally or to atrocity isn't it true that unless they were a particular kind of bastard, they loved you and they do not want you hurting? They do not want your hurting maximized. They want it minimized. Your hurt, your pain, or your rage is not equal to your love or your bond or your commitment. Your love is your love and need not be proven by pain. As you move through grief, do what makes you feel connected to the earth and or to other humans. And if you draw a blank here, I have an offering for you. I offer you this show, even this very episode you're listening to right now, that you are connected through this experience of listening all the way to right here. So many people are listening to our show that it is likely that someone else is listening right now with you in sync. 
Just take a breath into that possibility, into this idea I just offered. If you took me up on that offer, that's an openness. If you refused my offer just now to connect, just look at that. Look at why you refused. What part of you made that decision? Is there some pain for you to experience, feel, process, and move through and let go of? Is this the part that you want making your decisions? If the answer is no, tap into that wise woman or wise man part that you have been cultivating. What does he or she want for you? My last tip. Now, I have used this like a mantra or a prayer. This line comes from my very best female friend of 25 years, who is like my sister, and who told me so long ago, this is only a moment in time, and all moments pass. It is a truth our egos hate while we are in anger and will rage at. Our egos wanting that drug hit of righteous rage, not the calming waters of grounded integration and monk-like understanding of our true power to calm that brings us the power of clearer thought and decision-making. This is only a moment in time and all moments pass. I've had days I've said this maybe a thousand times, and I didn't believe a bit of it while I said it. It doesn't matter if all your parts don't buy in. It's a phrase to hold on to like one might hold on to a tree during the tsunami. Sure, you can let go of that tree, but your chances of survival are increased when we hold on to the very thing that helps us hold strong and get through what seems impossible. This is only a moment in time. All moments pass. I want to close this episode by asking you to join me in a moment of meditation, a moment of prayer, a moment of sending energy, whatever is your framework to call what I'm about to do. I invite you to join me by putting a hand on your heart and a hand on your belly. This is one of my dearest Sanskrit chants. If you know it, please join me. I'll repeat it three times so that even if you don't, by the third time you can join in. Close your eyes and take a breath deep into your belly. The meaning of this chant is may all beings everywhere be happy and free. Loka samasta sukino bhavantu. May all beings everywhere be happy and free. Loka samasta sukino bhavantu. May all beings everywhere be happy and free. Loka samasta sukino bhavantu. Boundaries course starts tomorrow. I cannot wait to meet all of you who have signed up. Remember that you can get through absolutely anything. Every moment we can add to our healing, to our wholeness, to our self-care kits. This life gives us opportunities to learn things. And the truth is we will learn things we never intended to. Longtime listeners, you know I joke a lot. I have accidental life PhDs and things I never wanted to. That's not a bad thing. It's been a shocking thing. And I hope in these episodes, 
I help you find some of the adulting that every single one of us needs for this life. It's my calling to share it. Thank you for being willing to listen. Thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable and imperfect. Thank you for being an incredible tribe of people that have sent this podcast all over the world. We can't do much in this life alone. I'm so grateful for you and the energy you bring to your life in this world. Come join me in the Patreon live stream this week, or I'll see you at the Boundaries course, or next time for a brand new episode right here. Light and love. Take care out there of yourselves and each other. We are grateful and proud that Emotional Badass is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Come support our network, y'all. Visit airwavemedia.com to expand your horizons, to check out some of their other great shows. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.